It's the week of September 25th in the year 2019, and we all know what that means. New comics. Albert and I have extensive conversations about robots and why they simply can't be fun anymore. Is it Harley or Harleen, and does it really matter? Professor Xavier gets even creepier, and we answer extensive listener emails, which are surprisingly mostly about Captain D's. Plus, it's the fourth quarter of 2019. Do you know who your comic book distributorship is? All this and more on this week's episode of Kingdom Cast's podcast. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. <laughs> Want to know how to piss a bunch of people off on Facebook? <laughs> how? Tell them they're remaking The Princess Bride with Justin Bieber. Oh, as yeah, the lead. I saw that. <laughs> Personally, I think that is casting genius. Yeah. Justin Bieber has the dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> Zendaya has the princess. <laughs> but my favorite part was Russell Brand. That's <laughs> Montoya. And then I replaced. Andre the Giant with Captain Phasma. <laughs> We've been getting hate mail. <laughs> that movie would get crapped on worse than that Ghostbusters movie. Well, the rumor is it's it's just a rumor that they're going to remake it. But I think it's a I think it's a really substantial rumor. What we posted on Facebook, that's just a bunch of crap. I, I was I was sitting there and I was watching people's reactions to this rumor over different boards and threads and such. And I was like, wow, they're really, you know, they're acting as though this movie is almost as important as Star Wars. <laughs> and then I got to thinking, what could I do to like throw kerosene on this fire? <laughs> Hence my casting choices. <laughs> you should have got the actress that played Rose from Star Wars to be Princess Buttercup. <laughs> Stop that. Now, I like her. I like Zendaya, too. I don't know why I put Zendaya in there. She'd make a good princess. They're, they're fine actresses, I suppose. <laughs> well, they well they are. I like Rose Tico. I like the character of Rose Tico. I don't care what anybody says. I watched you... it again last night. <laughs> why would you do that? Because I like that movie. I like that movie. And we're coming up on Disney Pluses with The Mandalorian and... Uh, episode nine coming out in December. So I'll uh, Denise's thing where we go through and we watch all of the movies in the right order, which I consider to be four and five. And then we go back and watch one, two and three and then go to six. Although now we'd have to put Rogue One in front of four. What? <laughs> I mean, they're not they're numbered. Well, yeah, they're numbered, but you know, four, you can watch it. it. One, two, watching them episodes one, two, three, four, five, six. That's a very vanilla way to do things. Yeah. If, if you go and you watch the original Star Wars first, A New Hope, and then Empire Strikes Back, and that ends with the revelation of, no, I am your father. And then you go back and then you watch the prequels, get all the background story right there. And then you come back and you watch the Ewoks take down the Empire. And then seven and eight, of course. I guess. Huh? <laughs> well, aside I mean, from. Why the, would you watch any of them outside of four, five, and six again anyway? Because I love all of them, Albert. I don't. <laughs> 
it's all it's all one giant mythology. I mean, I read all the books. I do everything. I am I am very on top of the Star Wars situation. I mean, as long as you think Episode One's the best one, that's fine with me. <laughs> that's the that's the only real Star Wars movie. <laughs> episode One had Episode some One. <laughs> that's Lucas's true vision. Everything else was just for toys. <laughs> There's a lot of Jar Jar crap put out when that movie came out. <laughs> well, aside from the Princess Bride remake, rumored remake, but if I say it enough, it'll become a thing. So I saw, did you see any of those still shots or any of the extended scenes from the upcoming Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Black Lightning, Crisis on Infinite Earth season? I saw uh, a few screen screen cap things. Yeah, Flash's new TV costume, that looks sharp. That yeah, that, that new costume looks really good. Yeah, I mean, meantime, Supergirl's still wearing Superman's outfit. Fine, if we're going to have pants and everything, fine. Just design it differently where it doesn't look like the exact same thing Superman's wearing. But Flash's new TV costume, that looked very sharp. I, I like him as Flash, too. I, I wish yeah, he, he, he had does, a shot. Yeah, he does a good... That, and they do him as Barry and not a hybrid of Barry and Wally. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. he's Barry. That's just sort of who he is. I can buy that. He he makes Barry likable. Yeah. Barry was not very... Everybody forgets, Barry is not a very likable character overall uh, in the comic books. I mean, the whole reason they killed him in Crisis was he was just... His comic book was just not doing well. He was... He was very blasé. He was very bland. There wasn't a lot of character to him. So they put him on trial for murder and found him guilty. And then he escapes to the future. And then the Animonitor grabs him in the comic book continuity. Wally, Wally had a lot more to him going on. But the TV series does a lot with Barry. So. Yeah. So I enjoy that. While we're on the topic of things going on at DC Entertainment, there's a rumor that the Justice Society is going to be in the Black Adam movie with The Rock? Have you heard this? It, it could, it would make sense, but I don't, I don't know the level of it. I mean, I don't the think that, as far as I'm concerned, that movie doesn't exist till they start filming it. Well, IMDb has not done anything other than have Dwayne Johnson listed as Black Adam, and I think one actress listed in the movie. But the rumor going around is that the Justice Society in the Black Adam movie is going to have been this underground situation that worked covertly behind the scenes to protect the Earth from mega disasters and such, like any supergroup does. But the primary character that it's going to that the Justice Society will revolve around, if the rumors are to be believed, is Hawkman. And they connect Hawkman to Black Adam through Hawkman's reincarnation cycles. That'd work. That'd work pretty well. Yeah, it does. It's scary. At first, when I heard that, I thought, no, no, no. But then when the Hawkman angle came up, I thought, hey, yeah, that I could see that. I could see that working. And also, it's Hawkman and Stargirl that are getting mentioned the most. And no, it won't be the Stargirl from the TV series. Or it doesn't look like it's going to be yeah. the Stargirl from... But until they until they cast an actor that could feasibly be Hawkman, I it, it's still just a rumor to me. Not much to it. Yeah, that movie's been in limbo for so long. It's just a thing. Like, there's no reason to think that movie's going to exist till they actually film it. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know. Given Shazam's box office, I I definitely think they're going to do it. I mean, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, at this point, he's he's basically like Mark Wahlberg. He's money in the bank. Yeah. 
if he did the Tooth Fairy 2, or wasn't he the Tooth Fairy in one movie? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, uh, something goofy like that. That's still going to be money in the bank. Yeah, I, I've no doubt that we're going to get a Black Adam movie with Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam. Uh, I just, I I think the Hawkman angle would be very cool in it, though. Albert, you got anything you want to talk about? Did you, did you read the news about Diamond? The Giuseppe reforming situation? Yeah. To me, it's still the same company. They just restructure and get to where you have different divisions of it. It's not, not everything's under Diamond. Yeah, we got an email asking us about that, and I personally, I did not answer it through the channels of Kingdom Comics or Kingdom Cast. I personally answered it in a message over Facebook saying, look, here's the situation. We knew something like this was coming uh, just from the scuttlebutt that's been going on. If you look at the last several years' sales, what you're watching is the comic book shops, the independent comic book shops are diminishing at a rapid rate yearly in comparison to the major chain booksellers that are gaining in sales, in retail sales on the comic books. We've seen a number of little quiet steps, like certain people we were used to dealing with suddenly no longer being there, and different little factions like that. I have no real opinion on it. Diamond's got to do what Diamond's... Remember, we went, like, at the store, we went, how long did we go without an actual rep? Oh, dear God, I forgot about that night. And we had Why, Mary, that's what I was referencing. You know, it was Mary for, I got rid of her for, for something. Mary, and now let me qualify that. Mary was no longer with them. There's yeah, no reason did. to. We didn't, yeah. have any, we didn't have an actual rep for, yeah, that was, was it? That was a nightmare of a time, too. We went through about four months there. Yeah, it was four months. It was easily four months. And then... Once we did get the rep, the rep would introduce herself each time as though this was the first time we were talking. Yeah. Nothing against her. I'm sure she's fine. She she handled our problems once we got there. But there was a backlog of problems that was created by that. But whatever Diamond's got to do to survive, because Diamond is the only direct game out there. A lot of people can say Monopoly all they want about it. It's not a Monopoly. There are other periodical distributorships out there. And this is what Diamond falls well, in the Diamond, category. Well, Diamond didn't actively seek Become. to be that. They, they just, when everything went to hell in the 90s and it all blew up in everyone's face, there, there had to be one person there to do the work. Diamond closed their eyes over a weekend. And when they opened their eyes on Monday morning, they were the last ones standing. Yeah. You don't begrudge them for that and the periodical situation. But more importantly than that, nobody's stopping anybody else from no. becoming a major comic book distribution center. It's just that people that have the resources to be able to do and to start that up are not remotely interested in doing you know, it. You know who could do it, but they won't do it because they won't think big enough to do it. Books a million. No, actually, I kind of do think if somebody got a wild hair, they would. And I, I don't. Think, I don't think they would. I, I think after that, that would be the after beginning. They tried the, to do what comic book stores did, and it blew up in their faces really bad. That they they're not going to touch it. You see, it hasn't completely blown up in their faces, and books a million is the touch of death on that. They won't even hire me because of that, and that wasn't even my fault. <laughs> <laughs> now we don't. They know. seriously, seriously, they won't hire me. The problem here, look, I'm being very careful about not going on rant, <laughs> uh, a rant about our our bookseller friends there. They just don't need to do that. That That is the touch of death. That would signify the end of direct sales comics 
that would that would signify a major calamity for direct sales comics. The best hope is that Diamond stays in place and however they have to restructure and organize themselves to do that, that'd be fine because you've not got anybody. There are a lot of people out there with a lot of money that are looking to invest in situations. And Diamond has been the sole comic book distributorship since 1997. So I'm here to tell you from other people's point of view, this is not a wonderful investment to go into nor has it been for, you know, since 1997. Well, that, there's so much overhead. Involved. I mean, my God. Yeah. Like the amount of space. The turnover in the, the warehouses. and everything would be, it's crazy. It's just, it's not something you could just be like, I'm going to do this. And then a year later, after you've built your buildings and hired everyone, you just can't flip the switch and do it. You have to already be on that path going up of a company that's already doing stuff like that before they ever get involved with it. While I'm not what you would call a flag waver for Diamond, they definitely do have my sympathy and my respect for the position that they're put in and the way they're handling it. They're handling these situations the best they can as they adapt. When we first started, when Kingdom Comics first opened 16 years ago, they were very problematic. And there came a time period where they understood that they could not handle things in the same way. And they saw that situation and they adapted across the board. It's not an easy task to perform what they do on a weekly basis. Not at all. And a lot of the cogs have to move in the right direction at the same time to be able to pull any of this off. It's a thankless job also. Whatever they have to do to stay has the distributorship for comic books they should do. That's not to say that I don't think an investor should at least try that. But again, that is an uphill situation that not many people are looking to get into because, and I'm quoting Egon from Ghostbusters on this, print is dead. Comic books have an extended life period due to their collectability and their interest, but the comic book base is aging. As soon as these stories can be told in an equally affordable format, then you're going to see a great deal of diminishing in the direct sales market, more so than we're currently seeing now. And again, independent comic book sellers still barely account for the majority of the direct sales comic book market. The booksellers, the chain bookstores like Books A Million and Barnes & Noble are rapidly closing the distance and probably this year or next year will surpass independent comic book sellers in that. It's not a bloodbath. It's not necessarily a bad situation. It's a situation where you've got to adapt, overcome, and move forward. Comic books will always be around, especially because of the collectability. But there's some changes coming in the next five to ten years. I'd say there's changes coming within the next three years. Yeah, but I want to give people more time. There's a reason we closed the brick-and-mortar store when we did. Uh, There's a lot of reasons we closed the brick-and-mortar store when we did. Because we, and the major reason being is we did not believe that by 2021, which is when our lease would have come up again, had we stayed past May, we did not believe that that would have been, we, we would have been in debt, serious, serious debt by that period. Whereas... We could have the gentle, relatively easy way out when we did. But we're working on other things also. Diamond's just got to do whatever Diamond's got to do. And I was surprised to see Jeppy take, uh, what is his name? Yeah, Jeppy. something like that. Jeppy or Gessy or something. 
Jeppy. Yeah, I was surprised to see Jeppy take the helm again like he has and be brought back into it. I thought he was pretty much just kind of watching from the sidelines up until the last couple of years here. So well, it's structured to where he doesn't have to over like it's mostly just people answering him. And yeah. then they go off and run each division. So like it's not all on dime to him. He now has a better it's structured out better for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I would not object to anything that they have to do that they think could better the process. Yeah. And streamline it. So, you know, go for it. While we're talking about this, let's let's get a couple of lister questions out of the way since we didn't do any last week. Kelsey asks, and this is very simple and straightforward, are Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver still Magneto's children in the comic books? Well, I remember in Uncanny Avengers, yeah, they changed it up where they were uh, freaky experiments or something like that. Yeah, you're right. It's high evolutionary. Yeah, high I evolutionary. I don't, I don't know if they ever went back on that properly or not. Not currently, they haven't. That's why we're not seeing. And when she asked this, I realized, hey, I'm not seeing Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in House of X or Powers of X. Well, you were talking about Storm missing, but there's Scarlet and Quicksilver are suspiciously absent. Yeah, there's other characters missing too. Yeah, I'm sure there. I'm sure there's several. But you know, between Xavier being able to clone and implant everybody's engrams and genetic into unshapen clones, we'll get them all back. <laughs> so. Yeah, currently they are a result by an experiment by the high evolutionary, Kelsey, until Hickman says otherwise. And I imagine he will say otherwise at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see this going back. It it adds a little something to them being the offspring of Magneto. Now, Lorna Dane is currently Magneto's daughter, as she was originally introduced. And, you know, they tried to retcon that a couple of times a few years back. But no, now she's fully Magneto's daughter. Another question comes in from, well, I'm going to read the Dr. Coctopus question first because it came in the night we were doing the last podcast, as we were doing the last week's podcast. Hey guys, have you guys ever eaten at a Captain D's? Ours burnt down, Doc Ock. I responded to him in the email, was this the one in Kansas that blew up and never heard anything back? But then the other day- That's the one from Gardendale. Oh, one in Gardendale burned down? The one in Gardendale was burned down, and it's taken so long to rebuild. You know how, like, they'll go through to McDonald's or whatever, Wendy's, and knock them down and rebuild them and modernize them? Yeah. You could have done this, like, five times over with this place, and it's still not open. Oh, Lord. I try to avoid Captain D. I'm not big on I love seafood. Yeah, I don't go I don't Captain D's, no. But, yeah, Captain D's, I, I, don't, I don't recall ever getting sick from it, but it seems like maybe I did one time. I'm not. Or something. I'm, I'm under the age of 60, so I don't eat there. Oh, well, okay, good point. Hey, and while we're on this subject, have you noticed that all of the McDonald's, you know, McDonald's used to look like fun, friendly places you go into, and now they all look like gray boxes. <laughs> That's really ticking me off. I want the arches and the clowns and stuff back. The one in Gardendale, going back yeah. to City Gardendale, uh, Highway 31 through Gardendale is permanently stuck in like 1982. Well, you uh, see, that's how it should be. So the one in Gardendale is still some old-ass McDonald's. See, it, so long as it looks fun. Everything looks like little gray boxes. I mean, very unappetizing, unplayed, you know. I, I don't know what the designers are thinking right now. But anyway, that's an aside. It's not like, I'll tell you the truth, I don't recall the last time I've eaten at a McDonald's. Now... Having said that, I will go through the drive-thru to get a Coca-Cola. Typically, I always drink diet drinks, but I will 
go through the drive-thru to get a Coca-Cola because of the way they process the Coca-Cola into the stainless steel containers. It has a kick to it. You can really feel the cocaine that they put in Coca-Cola come through <laughs> if you get it from McDonald's. <laughs> they do that for their employees. <laughs> Well, there's got to be some benefit in working there. All right. But then suspiciously after Dr. Coctopus, and I am saying that correct, uh, sent us the Captain D's message. A few days later, I get a message from Keith saying, hey, gents, I know we all hate the Speculator Comics app, but what back issue, silver, bronze, whatever, is your comic holy grail? Until my local Captain D's rises like a phoenix from the ashes... And then he signs off second Pope of the Universal Church of Albert. I know we've heard from Keith before. Uh, yeah. There seems to be a lot of members of this church. And again, I ask, where in the hell are the tithes? It's, it's news to me. <laughs> so two Captain D's related statements here. I don't know if they're the same person or not. Let me clear something up, Keith. Yes, I do hate the Speculator Comics app. I do. I hate what it does to people. But there is not anything wrong with being a collector of comic books. I want to differentiate the two. Saying that the first appearance of Major X occurred in whatever comic, because he was in the background or something or other, and then having people run in and fall over themselves to get that copy of that comic, that's that's not collecting. They're They're trying to get it and sell it on eBay, and they want it to go up in price for a quick turnaround. Collecting comics takes an effort, just like collecting coins or stamps or, or a collection of anything does. It takes time, investment, and an effort. The collectors are the lifeblood of comic book stores and the comic book industry. Them going after the back issues and the far back issues because they want it for themselves. As a matter of fact, Albert and I, sometime in October, will be going out to uh, what is probably the most valuable collection of an individual in Alabama and recording it with a GoPro camera and testing it out and seeing how this works so we can do a post on YouTube as we interview, talk to the guy and look at his collection. I really do admire the effort and everything that goes into it. My problem with the apps is it's causing everybody to trip over themselves because of Venom's stepson or whatever it is. Uh, these books aren't going to necessarily maintain value, and all it's doing is drying up the already limited market, especially in this area that we have, so that people who read these books regularly or might find their way into a shop and catch on to something that they'd like to collect, catch on to something they'd like to collect and come back in time, it prevents them from doing that because you've got people running in, grabbing stacks of them, trying to shove them out on yeah. eBay for $10, $20 a piece. So that's what I'm against. What I consider my personal Holy Grail comic that I don't currently have that I'd actually like to someday have in a collection is a 5.0 or better Fantastic Four number five, Dr. Doom's first appearance. So that would be it for me. What about you, Albert? It'd be Police Comics number one, the first appearance of Plastic Man. Ooh, that's a good call. We've actually, we actually had that in the store one time, didn't we? No, we had old police comics in the store, but not issue one. Not even before you started there? Uh-uh. Because if we did, you probably would have bought it. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I would it, not it have. Seems, I wouldn't have had the money for that. Well, I'd have to, I'm going to ask Jason about that. I'm going back. Oh, by the way, I, I saw Jason Bean this week. I see him every week. 
and uh, <laughs> he's he's organizing comic books in boxes for me. He's bagging and boarding them, and he's putting them in alphabetical order. You remember how he used to leave notes, pieces of wisdom and commentary around the store? Yeah. <laughs> There's this large section in one of the boxes of Unexpected, number one from DC Comics, which was their knockoff of the Defenders. <laughs> yeah. And he put a board in front of it, and in big letters he wrote on that board, brought to you courtesy of Albert Marsh, Esquire. (laughs) (laughs) So I think he's still holding a grudge about that. (laughs) So we got the ordering numbers wrong on that one. (laughs) Big deal. (laughs) Let's see. What else have we got here? Nikki has written in and says, I mostly enjoy the podcast. Mostly. (laughs) But why do you hate... Tom King so much. I'm really enjoying the Batman and Catwoman. She says Bat and Cat love story. I, I was having a hard time bringing myself to say that because that's what Tom King calls them. I got I, a question for Nikki. Why does she like it so much? Well, she she emphasizes the love story. <laughs> that's the real question. What's what's in there for her to like? Don't make me have to invite Nikki on the program. <laughs> This was odd because last week after we finished our podcast, I thought, you know what? I've got to go back and look at a few things. And I went back and I reread Batman 1 through 50, this current run of Tom King's all the way up to the marriage issue. He had some really, really good stories. There is. There's some good stuff in there. I mean, really golden stuff because I knew I liked him on Vision, but this latest bit that he's been turning out on Batman... And us having to talk about it almost weekly, or weekly, actually, it really kind of soured it for me. And I thought, did I not like this? And I went back over the stuff, but a lot of the Batman and Catwoman stuff, I really do like it. He he did a lot of good work on Batman. It just seems that after that wedding issue, and maybe during the wedding issue, that it just kind of went south. And here lately, it doesn't seem like I'm reading the same guy. It, it, It seems like I'm reading somebody trying to copy the guy that wrote Batman 1 through 50. How's it feel to you? Are, am I making any sense there, Albert? It reads like a cat lady's writing that book. A cat lady? Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, like some 50-something-year-old woman with 40 cats. Yeah, I started to ask you to explain that, and then it popped in my head there what you actually meant. <laughs> I was like, you mean like Catwoman? Or? No, okay. It's really weird. I mean, it seems to have lost its stride and not be able to find itself after the wedding thing, but he had to have some of this planned out because we go back and hit too many notes on it. Final email, and this is a big one. First off, I am a DC fan, so how dare you tempt me to start collecting Marvel like Hickman's Power of X, House of X. This was the first bone I had to pick with y'all. The second regards the DC Universe app. Okay, their online subscription with all of their stuff in it. I was a little disappointed to hear Stan say it wasn't worth it. Here's why. Number one, I get all the DC media content I want from their animated series and movies, which are on point to the new live action stuff. I feel it justifies the subscription in and of itself. Okay, all right. Well, right off the bat, my opinion on something is not the be-all, end-all of anything. Because mine is. There you go. What's your take on the DC media? To me, I think I, I kept that thing for about two months. I kept it through the end of Doom Patrol, and then once that finished off, I was just sort of done with it. I watched everything I wanted to watch, and there really wasn't any reason for me to hang around. Okay. 
I do appreciate that they've got all of that situated in one place. I especially like the fact that it had all the superpowers and super friends, challenge of the super friends episodes on it, because that's a blast from the past. And I really did enjoy those and the filmation Superman and filmation Batman, not to mention the live action specials that they did on, I think it was ABC all those years ago in the seventies, even though the content on one of the specials is so bawdy that we can't play it in the store, something they could get never get away with on TV now. I just wasn't big on the layout of it and how to get to it. And I think also in the back of my mind, I believe that I heard that they're going to meld the DC app in with the HBO Plus situation that Warner Brothers is putting together to combat the Disney Plus is that not? I thought that's what that HBO something. I, I called it HBO Plus, but it's HBO Go or something along the lines. Yeah, I thought that was just going to be everything, like just Warner, whatever Warner owns in general's there. Yeah, it seems like they would consolidate it so you could have all of the DC Comics movies, DC Comics content in with their other major library like Harry Potter and anything HBO turns out, Westworld, the upcoming Watchmen, Game of Thrones along those lines. So I wasn't jumping up and down about signing up for it because I would watch it like maybe when Doom Patrol had new episodes in it. I was not big on the Titans series. I saw like three or four episodes on it was not big on the Titans. I know it's developing its own fan following and I'll give it another try. Like I said, my opinion on something like that is not the be all end all. It's just how I feel about something. I'm not out there trying to discourage anybody from supporting anything. Unless it's Tom King's current Batman run. No. <laughs> Number two, he says, I've only recently started collecting comics within the last two to three years, so I have to track down old storylines. The DCU comics reader, while glitchy at times, has allowed me to read through stuff like Grant Morrison's Animal Man, which blew my freaking mind, and Giffen and Mattias's Justice League, which I adore so much. I do too. I have always loved that. I would not have been able to read any of the storylines and countless... Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that's working for you. It does have its points. It just, for whatever reason, I just never warmed up to it. Uh, then he says, all kidding aside, I do love the podcast, especially the AMC rant. I'm glad you like the AMC rant. There'll be more rants coming. <laughs> Always felt going uh, weird going into an AMC, but couldn't put my finger on it until Stan compared them to late 30s Germany. I do have a few questions for you two, though. Regarding Hickman's House of X, Powers of X, was there ever a reason given why he split them into two series instead of combining it into one series? Have y'all discussed this or did I miss it? We've never discussed that particular point, have we? No. Well, do you have an idea? I have an idea why it's two series. To me, that's just the way he is. Uh... It's two distinctive line of thoughts to him. And what he's done by giving them different titles along these lines is in House of X, you're following concurrently what's going on and what we're considering the X-Men's present situation. That's consistent in its time period. In Powers of X, you're seeing flashbacks and flash-forwards that explain and fill in the different situations you see come up in House of X. For instance, in one issue of House of X, we saw Wolverine, Cyclops, Jean Grey, and that team die trying to kill the Mother Mold, successfully killing the Mother Mold Sentinel. You know, they're dead. They're, they were all irretrievably dead the way they had them killed off on panel. Well, in the next issue of Powers of X, we see 
a flashback to them approaching Mr. Sinister, Nathaniel Essex, about his genetic work. There's two lines of thought going on here. He's got a concurrent situation running with House of X, and he's got a flashback and flash-forward situation running in Powers of X, dealing with the history and the ultimate consequences or possible consequences to the outcome of what's going on in House of X. So yeah, he has two distinct lines of thought running there. There's a bit of poetry he's got working in between the two. Does that make sense to you? Works for me. Also, regarding Hickman's X-Men, are they good? Have the X-Men ever been good? Does does the question of good versus evil even matter in regards to the X-Men, or is it all shades of gray? That's a lot for one single question. Let's take this bit by bit. Are the Hickman's X-Men good? Well, if you mean is Hickman's X-Men run good? Yes, great. But I think you're reading that. Are they morally good? They're a species trying to survive. And they've always been written from that point of view since Chris Claremont came on the book with Uncanny X-Men number, or not Uncanny, but X-Men number, what was it, 96? Yeah. When uh, Claremont and Cockrum came on the book. They are a species trying to exist. At the same time, they're trying to do what's morally right. However, Xavier has always, even in the old X-Men by Stanley, Jack Kirby, Herb Trimp, Xavier has been always been morally ambiguous and ultimately his own deciding factor on what is right and wrong. Just not as blatant as Magneto. He, he was not as quick to go to extremes as Magneto was. Does the question of good versus evil matter in regards to the X-Men? They're there to protect a world that fears and hates them. So, yes, those questions do come up repeatedly. However, in Hickman's current run, what you're watching is a species banding together to ensure its own future and its own survival, which has been threatened, reduced, and almost extinguished God knows how many times. Is it all shades of gray? Yeah, there's a lot of shades of gray going on. Always been a lot of shades of gray, especially wherever Xavier's concerned. Xavier uh, used to be in love with Jean Grey when she was 16 years old, but hiding it from himself God, and everybody that was so else. Stupid. That was giving a basis for that storyline. Given Xavier's other, I mean, which is worse? Him silently thinking that to himself, but never acting on it, or him playing dead? in front of those teenagers for a few years and then having Mimic come in and replace him and then dying again in front of him. Xavier is very morally ambiguous. Magneto is much more direct and his ends justify the means. Xavier's a much more political player in this situation than he is militaristic like Magneto. Do you think Xavier's Machiavellian machinations, say that three times fast, to establish the nation state of Krakoa are going to blow up in his face at some point down the line? He's going to have to deal with Namor. He's going to have to deal with Doom. May have to deal with T'Challa and Wakanda, too. Something set up. Higman? Oh, yeah, the the situation where Yeah, by simply saying, rather than saying, you know, reject or accept, he said, we don't need your drugs type thing. He actually spelled it out. It seems like at some point in time, there's going to be something in there. I agree, you're right. This current issue of Powers of X that came out this week does have a brush with Namor, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Is it going to blow up in his face? It always blows up in their face. Yeah. But it always blows up in everybody's face. If the Avengers tried this, the Avengers mountain thing going on in Avengers, that's going to blow up in their face. 
Yeah, I mean, it's this is comic books. This is what happens. The heart of the story is how they deal with it and how they come back from it. All right. Regarding DC, do you think they can get back to stories like Justice League International, Gotham Central, which I think is one of the best books I've read from DC, or has that time passed never to return? Is there a way to fix current DC continuity? And why is it putting Detective Chimp in as many books as possible. Well, I've always been a big supporter of Detective Chimp and don't think he gets nearly enough time in as many. I would be okay if Detective Comics... Well, no, I like Tomasi on Detective Comics with Batman. The Detective Chimp thing, monkeys always sell. That, you don't have to explain anything with them. It's just, yeah. hey, look, it's Detective Chimp. His, his name is what he is. We can that, get on with the story. That's it, like Speed Racer. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it says it all in one sentence. Justice League International? Well, there's a problem with that. I believe you've said that you were new to comics, and this is, we're talking, we're answering the email from Corby Howard, who claims to be high priest of the Church of Albert. Again, where are the tithes going, people? They're not going um, to me. <laughs> I want to be treasurer. <laughs> Justice League International and books like Justice League International, meaning that they have humor and humanity to them, have been expressly forbidden by Dan Didio. The first edict that Dan Didio issued to all of DC Comics when he took over was no more blah ha 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 ha. And then to drive the point home, he had them kill Ted Cord, the Blue Beetle, and just demantle the Justice League International crew in what was kicking off uh, one of their big crossover series. Gotham Central was a little bit of a different book, and I think we've moved too far away from it with Montoya being one of the questions, one of the detectives referred to as the question out there in the DC universe. They could do something like it or something similar to it, and I would really appreciate if they did get an angle, but that was magic that struck once, and unfortunately... They don't have Drew Baker is what the problem is. yeah. Rucka, he co-wrote it with them and, and did pretty well. I think toward the end of it, it was Rucka by himself. But there's only one Ed Brubaker, and he's right at DC right now. It's real simple. If Didio just got out of the way and collected a paycheck or something and let somebody... Mark Wade should have been editor-in-chief of DC Comics. I think the whole reason that you don't see Mark Wade doing anything at DC Comics is because Dan Didio is a shark. This is his way up the corporate ladder, and Mark Wade was a threat because Mark Wade, in his sleep, can recite DC Comics history from 1938 forward. So naturally, no more Mark Wade at DC Comics because anybody that's considered a threat when you're a shark and you're trying to climb that ladder by failing forward, well, then you want to get them off the board as quickly as possible. It's that kind of thinking that you need these dark and gritty stories rather than the more human stories that we were getting like Justice League International. You just need somebody in charge that is going to take the that's going to let Giffen and Demadius and the and Peter David, you notice Peter David's not over there either, and Mark Wade use all the talent at their disposal in telling these stories. You know, be there with a good editorial department, but not one that pushes a personal agenda, one that has the interests of the characters at heart. That's what's important because when you are true to the character, you get a true story 
and you get more readership because people can identify with them more readily. These are more event-driven situations that have been going on from shortly before the New 52 forward. I think a lot of it has to do with this generation of writers, Snyder and uh, Tom King. Like Snyder's chasing after the tale of Grant Morrison, so everything he does in Justice League is just Grant Morrison stuff. And I don't know what King's deal is with Batman. In all honesty, I don't. I think King on his Batman stuff is so obsessed with leaving his mark, he doesn't care how he does it. Well, he was off to a good start to leave his mark. I just don't know exactly where he won't. I, I something happened. Something transpired. Uh, I think some some Catwoman cosplayer. Oh man, bro- don't go broke, there. Broke his heart at some convention. Well, if and she broke been, his, and he's been self-inserting himself as as Bruce in, in the comic ever since. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. <laughs> if she broke his heart, wouldn't the initial... Well, she left him, She, you know, Catwoman left Batman at the altar, so... Well, yeah, but then... Some it, Catwoman it, cosplayer left Tom King in a, in a hotel room by himself one night, and that's been that. You're just not going to be happy until he burns it all down, are you? <laughs> I'm going to be having lunch one day, and he's going to mistake me for you, and I'm going to get shot. <laughs> from a distance so and then number four he says and this is corby's final question i have a theory regarding justice league dark which i think is a really good book probably because bobo is in it which i want y'all's opinion on i don't remember if it was two issues or three issues ago but the issue started with wonder woman talking to kent nelson and that kid that was dr fate regarding the fate uh uh-huh of, Nab- of Naboo's helmet. And both of them say they don't want the helm at all. Smash cut to Zatanna talking to Constantine in the Oblivion Bar about how he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks of magic. Basically, the antithesis of the previous two incarnations of Dr. Fate. My theory is this. The writers of Justice League Dark are setting John Constantine up to take the mantle of Dr. Fate in this new era where the laws of magic are being rewritten. Does that seem plausible to y'all or am I just talking out my butt? Albert, you go with that. Yeah, I think the issue is Dr. Fate, they don't have the JSA right now, so they have to do something with that helmet. So I guess they're just going to give it to Constantine. Really? You think they're going to give it to Constantine? This kind of seems, if they do give it to Constantine, this kind of rubs me like a Hal Jordan is the Spectre situation, temporary at best. Yeah, yeah, it'll be, it'll, it won't be some permanent thing. It'll just be, hey, Constantine's got the helmet and they'll, they'll run with it for a year and be done with it. <laughs> so I suppose the smoke from the cigarette's going to come out through the eye holes. <laughs> Well, he doesn't need this. He can just like smoke it with magic or something. <laughs> smoke it with magic. <laughs> He'll make the cigarette smoke just magically appear in his lungs. <laughs> the nicotine. All right. You're just absorbed. Please keep up the good work. I download every episode each week and listen in. Thank you so much. And while I don't always agree with your opinions, mainly about Tom King, maybe we should hook Corby up with, uh, who was it earlier? <laughs> Kelly. Or Kelsey. <laughs> My opinions on Tom King's Batman are not opinions. They're, they're cold, hard facts. That's what that is. <laughs> backed, up by, backed up by pseudoscience. And, well, anyway, he goes on to say he enjoys listening to two middle-aged nerds discuss comics like my friends and I do each week. Sincerely, Corby H., High Priest of the Church of Albert. P.S. Yes, the church is a real thing. We are out there, Albert, awaiting our Lord's commands. P.P.S. Going back to X-Men, is there any point in tracking down and reading X-Men gold, blue, or red, or is that just a skip? No, skip it, skip it, skip, skip it. it. Skip it. Don't worry about it. 
if you're going to read, if you're going to go back and track down anything X-Men, get Claremont, Cockrum, and Burns run on it. All right. So that was a very well thought through email from Corby Howard. It was. Again, I want to know where the tides are going and I want to be the treasurer. Albert, it occurs to me that there are some new comics that came out this week. And let's go over briefly the rating system we've got so we don't have to go into great detail about everything. And again, what we're touching on or what we consider the more notable of the comics that have come out. And if it bears discussion, we will go into discussion on it. But basically, Albert and I are now rating them based on three principles. And the scale will be out of five. And the three principles are writing, art, and then the dynamic. The dynamic consists of coloration, layout, editing, and the overall mood of the comic and direction of the comic book. And then we tally the score at the end. Let's start off with, how about Thanos, issue number six of six issues by Tenny Howard with art by Olivetta. I read it. Okay. What was your score on writing? Two. All right. Your score on art? Two. And the dynamic of the book? Three. Three. Okay. Well, my score on the writing was two. Uh, my score on the art was actually four. There was a couple of pieces in there that I thought, oh, wow, that, that took some effort. The overall direction of the book, two. Your overall score came out to what? Roughly two, like 2.5 or something. That, that's the exact same thing I got. 2.5 out of five. Overall series, since this miniseries is now over with this issue, was for me a two out of five. That's the way the system will that's the way the system will work. If y'all like it, let us know. If you don't like it, we can go back to talking endlessly about how this Thanos run pales in comparison to the preceding Thanos books. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, quite a thrown together mess of a book. <laughs> Yeah, it really was. It seemed to have a direction, an idea, and it just didn't seem to come together in a good fashion. So basically that overall series for us both, I believe, was a two out of five. Now, your pick of the week was New Mutants by Claremont as the writer and Sinkovich as the artist, the original team that put New Mutants on the map. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's, it's so weird that they just paid Claremont and sent it home. Yeah. Surely you can just, like, you know, this book is just they stuck Claremont with one of his old buddies and they made a book. I don't know why they just can't do that. It really worked. I mean, having been a big fan of New Mutants and buying this run from Claremont and Sinkovich month after month as it came out, you could put this comic just right smack dab in the middle of that run and it fit perfectly. If you had a time machine and, you know, went back to 1986, this would just have been another New Mutants issue that was standalone. It was old-fashioned, fit right into it, like it's 1986, 87, all over again. I gave Claremont uh, four out of five on the writing on this. It was a little bit stilted. He's still used to his old dynamics of explaining what everybody can do uh, through every other character's thought and interaction. Art is Sinkovich. Sinkovich is not for everybody, but Sinkovich is a great artist, period. And he always just went full tilt on New Mutants. He did not hold anything back. It was very abstract stuff, and this is too. Art, I gave a four out of five, and the overall dynamic, well, seeing as we're not going to get another one or anything, and it fits in perfectly with the original run, four out of five. So my overall score was four out of five. I gave uh, the writing a three, mm -hmm. and I gave uh, art, and then the you know the dynamic, the overall package. I gave both those fives. So you came out with a four point out of five too. Yep, pretty much. Okay, cool beans. 
Star Trek Target Vader. We've talked about how good this book was. Most of the you Vader mean Star books. Wars Target Vader. <laughs> what are you reading? <laughs> never, never text message Mark Adam before doing a podcast. I was wondering why he's talking to you at 10 o'clock at night about Star Trek. I was like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Somehow. Darth Vader has found his way into the Star Trek universe. <laughs> so we're about to rectify a number of problems their continuity has been having. Now, Star Wars Target Vader, three of uh, issue number three out of six issues. Uh, Robbie Thompson is the writer and Stefano Landini is the artist. We've said it before, this book kicks butt. I'm going to go ahead and just say the overall score on this book for me was four out of five. Writing was dead on. The art was suitable for a Star Wars I, book. I think when you look at that art, it looks like in, in some of the Vader panels that he's tracing Vader off something. Oh, clearly, but they all are. Vader is very, Vader and those starships are very difficult to draw. And if your name is Ralph McQuarrie, you're not just going to whip the Star Destroyer design mm -hmm. out of your imagination and onto the page. I do not begrudge them cheating on drawing the masks and the starships. I really don't. Have you not noticed that the Millennium Falcon looks the exact same in every comic book? Yeah. They've got God knows how many CAD images of the Millennium Falcon and these starships and go for it. Use them all. I understand that. You can cheat in that area on this. I'm not asking you to try to draw a Star Destroyer. If you want to see why I'm okay with it, go back to the original Marvel Comics 1977 run where Chewbacca looked like he had a dog face and... <laughs> The Falcon looked like a circle with two points on the end. <laughs> okay. Don't forget, uh, oh, the stinking rabbit. What was his name? Jackson. Jackson, yeah. The green rabbit. Yeah, he's in continuity now, too. Yeah, Michael he should Nip, be. Michael Nip, uh, one of the big Star Wars fans in the state, want, likes to point that out every time somebody brings him up. The big giant green <laughs> rabbit is in continuity. I ain't seen him in no movie. He don't count to me. Keep it up. Keep it up. He's in the background. Are Lego sets in continuity? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't start into my Lego sets. I've you never sent some... me a picture. I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you pictures. I'm just trying to finish up Hoth first. So, uh -huh. hey, guess what? Finally came out after a four month. Was it four or five months delay? Shazam. Yep, it did come out. Yeah, Shazam number seven, written by Jeff Johns uh, with Eaglesham and Collins. Splitting... And I gave uh, I gave Vader uh, oh. straight threes across the board. Okay, so Vader was a three. I'm sorry, I overlooked that. Well, we got to talking about Legos, and I wanted to yeah. deflect that. <laughs> so, what did you think of Shazam after all this time? The writing's still top-notch. The delays must be due to Eaglesham or something, because he only did, like, what, two-thirds of this book? Yeah, you can tell when the art and then, shifts. And then Collins, uh, Collins did the rest of it? Could very well be. I kind of feel like I'm reading a sequel to the movie that came out. Yeah, yeah, this is very much designed because that movie was based roughly on the Justice League backups. Yeah. Where Johns did the, redid the origins. The movie's based on that. So when Johns did the ongoing, the ongoing's just like the very next thing afterwards. I really do feel like I'm reading a scriptment for Shazam, too. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm not, but that's what I feel like. I thought the writing was okay. It wasn't John's best. It was I three out it, of five. I gave it four on the writing. Four on writing, I gave it a three. On art, I gave it a three out of five. It was kind of disjointed when they made the jump. Almost felt like a different story so far as the art was concerned. Still I, read the same. I still gave the art a four. Okay, well, I gave it a three. 
the direction, the uh, dynamic of the book, I gave a four out of five. My score was 3.5. What'd you give on tonight? I gave on the dynamic, I gave like a one. A one? Why is yeah. that? Well, see, I'm using dynamic as an overall package. Yeah. So like if the book's several months late, it shouldn't have two artists on it like that. Well, that's a good point, And I'll take that into account from now on. It ended up with a 3.5 for me. So you gave it a not. Yeah. Okay. So you pretty much, you gave it, it a three, three, 3.5 overall. Yeah. Well, no, yours came out directly as a three. Mine came out 0.5 better out of five. It, it's still a good book. It's still an entertaining read. It just wasn't worth that weight. And I should have taken the dynamic into consideration on the time as well. Did you take a look at uh, IDW's Transformers Galaxies number one? Yes. That is my lowest reviewed book of the week. Oh, is it now? Yes. Okay, well, what overall score did you give it? Well, I'm going to talk about the book for a minute. Like, it's, Go ahead. Like The writing, I gave a one. The art, I gave a two. And the dynamic, I gave a two. Why can't Transformers books be fun? Why, does, why are all of them like super dead serious? And here's all these random wars and battles that have taken place. And like, like, why can't they just be a Transformers book? That's because you've had so many Transformer stories done that people are growing intimidated by it and they're not quite sure where the property lies. This is the, a similar problem they have with G.I. Joe, except it's less of a problem with G.I. Joe because G.I. Joe is an elite American paramilitary organization, which apparently they think has problems within the definition of it. And Transformers what it comes down to is you're writing stories about robots that turn into guns and cars. Exactly. So it shouldn't be boring. All hell Megatron was the high point for Transformers and comics. And See, I, th I think that goofy Transformers G.I. Joe crossover from a couple years back was high point that, for Transformers comics. That, that's that stamp by, uh, what's his name, uh, Pinsky? No, it was uh, Sciola or Scioli. I don't. I can't pronounce his name properly. Okay. That was kind of an out-of-sequence fun situation. They feel that they have to add something to it, that there has to be... They're scared to let it be what it is in both situations of G.I. Joe and Transformers. And what you need somebody to swing in that understands and appreciates things like Optimus Prime is John Wayne. He's how Japanese view American movie icons and cowboys. He's red, white, and blue, a giant semi-truck, and he walks and talks like John Wayne. We've gotten away from that. Optimus is a pacifist that was drawn into war. Optimus is the brother of Megatron, and, and none of that matters. What we want is we want fun robot stories with an edge on it. It's okay for them to take place on Earth and sometimes on Cybertron. But again, I agree with you on this. I didn't rate it quite as low. I think I gave it like a 2.5 overall. It was trying to add layers to something that doesn't necessarily need layers. Yeah. To it. Well, years back, I, I read a whole bunch of that old Transformer UK stuff that's highly praised by a bunch of people. Yeah. And that stuff was great, but they're not trying to do that or, or something similar to that. They're just making it too overly bland. You know, there's nothing fantastical or amazing about it. This is a paid-for property that IDW is paying Hasbro for, and Hasbro weighs in on it. But what at the end of the week, what it comes down to, or at the end of the year, what it comes down to is X number of Transformer books sold. So we will continue on this path if that number meets their quotient. If it doesn't, then they'll have to consider another reboot or something along those lines. They've rebooted the whole line recently because... They just feel that everything that could be said about the Transformers has been said about them. They're limiting themselves in their own imagination. And they need to go back to, 
look, for me, the cartoons, the original cartoon series, they still have some good episodes. There's still some great moments in them, but overall, they're kind of a drag to watch, except for those well, I mean, first four a, episodes. It's a yeah. cartoon named at eight years old. So. Well, that's exactly right. But I can watch the animated movie over and over again and do. There's just something about the that animated movie is is high art. There's just something about here's what the here's what the animated movie is. When people look back on their childhood things, they look at it through nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And that movie is what you think of with the rose-colored glasses on. You think that Transformers is that movie that's not. Whenever you think of that animated movie, it's not a nostalgia thing. That movie's actually just that good. Yeah, it really it's is. It's well put together. It's well animated. It's got that 80s soundtrack. It's got good action scenes, good voice acting and everything. Your mind doesn't instantly make it be better than what it is like it does like something like the old G.I. Joe show or the old He-Man show or the Transformer episodes. That way your mind perceives that movie now, there is no filter to make it better than what it is. It is it is that movie. And I recall seeing it in the theater and while Optimus Prime's death and it was just absolutely devastating and I hated Hot Rod when I came out of there, I love that movie. Yeah. I have always loved that movie. It is what it is, and it makes no excuses for itself until you get the 25th anniversary Blu-ray and you listen to the director's track where the director... We had toys to sell. (laughs) Yeah, where the director apologizes over and over again. People, you've got to understand, we did not know we would be traumatizing children with the death of these robots. We got to get the kid, them kids, they done bought their Optimus Prime. Kill him off. We got to get someone else from the bar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's bring in Cup. He kind of looks like a truck. Maybe he's a future truck. I don't know. Just sell him. Yeah, that's it. That movie is outstanding. And if you have not seen the Transformers animated movie, then you are missing out. Orson Welles. This was Orson Welles' last movie. Leonard Nimoy, Judd Nelson, dear God. Robert Stack. Robert Stack. Robert Stack. Eric Idle. It has a hell of a cast in it, and it's just completely and totally unapologetic, and Grimlock steals the whole thing. The talking robot dinosaur. Ghost Spider, Spider-Gwen, number two. I gave it twos across the board. I didn't care much for it at all. Same thing. Jackal's in, I'm out. We did have a request to read Tarot, which is a very mature comic book. Issue number 118 came out this week. Uh, could you please review Tarot? <laughs> I don't I do not do requests. Yeah, well, it's okay. I didn't when we even... do the Patreon, that'll be a very high tier that you can pay for. If you, yeah. want, if you want me to review Tarot, you're going to have to pay me to review Tarot. <laughs> Tarot 118, I put no, just no. This is a gratuitous book. It always has been. I've never, <laughs> I just can't understand the appeal in it. White Trees, number two. Now, you and I had an interesting discussion about the first White Trees that came out by Chip Zadarsky and Anka doing the art on it. And White Trees from Image, number two, came out. Look, I'll definitely be reading the next issue after this one. This is the end of this arc. It was just two issues on the arc? I thought it was. I thought he was going to do some other story that takes place on that planet or whatever. Well, either way, I'm still, you see, I kind of took it as almost an open ending. I mean, it would be a good end to the arc. Just two issues. We barely got time to know anybody. Yeah, yeah, this was really good. The bondage fetish stuff was weird in this issue. 
overall, he, it was it was really good. I gave it fours across the board on it. There's a real fetish angle to both of the issues in White Trees that runs fairly stout. I gave this one a 3.5. I liked it much better than the first one, but I was also under the impression we're not done with the story arc. But I if we swore, are... I could have swore this was the end of this arc. Well, if we are done with these characters, then it was I could a... I be wrong. I don't know. It was a good character book. All right. And finally, after months and months of Mr. Freeze appearing on the covers of Detective Comics, but not having anything other than two pages in the back, this week's issue of Detective Comics, number uh, 1012, Tomasi continues, and Monk has artists coming aboard for it. Still the best in-continuity Batman book. The last page I thought was spectacularly awesome. We're finally dealing with Mr. Freeze. I gave the writing a four, the artist a five, and the overall dynamic a four, a 4.5, one of the higher I I gave this one fours across the board. Okay, there you go. I mean, it really was. Did you not love that last page? That was really great. That was something else. So again, I cannot recommend Detective Comics enough, and the events in Detective Comics takes place before anything that King seems to be doing in the current Batman storyline. Batman Superman, while we're on some Bat books here, number two came out, Williamson's writing, Marquez is doing the art in the book. Batman Who Laughs continues. Overall, I just gave it a three across the board. I gave it a writing a two, art a two, and dynamic a three. I, I just don't. I don't care for the Batman who laughs anymore too much. Well, he's just overused. He is. He's wearing on me. And the catch on this one was that he's infected Shazam. And so Superman and Batman are having a very difficult time with Shazam. But it brings nothing new to the Shazam-Superman fight. There's no new angle there that Mark Wade and Alex Ross has not covered at some point. Yeah. So other than Shazam's infected by the venom from the Batman who laughs, who turns you into a Joker-like situation. Give or take, Batman who laughs seems to be wearing out his welcome a lot faster than Apex Lex is. Yeah. Valiant had a new number one bloodshot come out this week. I love Brett Booth's art on this. Yeah, that was, I didn't have time to read it tonight. There's two books I didn't get to read on the list and that was one of them. I'm not big on any of the Valiant comics necessarily. I keep trying them and anytime they come out with a number one, I'm going to go back, especially so we can review it for the podcast. Seeley was a fine writer. I, I thought the writing on it was three. The artist is a five. That's Brett Booth. He's just gotten better over the years. The overall dynamic I thought was a three, so I gave it a 3.8 overall the whole thing it was entertaining i really do believe that marvel or dc should grab booth we're going to talk about booth for a second here sure i'm pretty sure this was booth on twitter that was mentioned of this yeah. he said that he can't get on at marvel at all why is that he said he sent you know fillers out there to him and all this other stuff he can't even get a phone call from him that's ridiculous. Now, you know, he's, mentioned, he's mentioned DC because he's done some DC work on and off. Uh-huh. And he mentioned he's tried to get on and do Batman, but he said you have to be part of an inner circle to be, be on Batman. That's, <laughs> that's like a club. There's like a Batman crew at DC, and if you're not part of that crew, you don't get a Batman book. <laughs> yeah, Terry Austin, I believe, is having the same problem with Marvel. I'm not so sure about DC. It would greatly behoove Marvel to put Brett Booth on a Star Wars title, or even the Avengers. Truthfully, I he's not my type of artist, but he's done some. Technically, he's a great artist. Like he should be no issues with him getting working on anything he wants to from Marvel and DC, as far as I'm concerned. Oh well, I'm he's telling just, personally, I just don't. He just he doesn't do too much for me. Uh, well, the Bloodshot. What really stood out about it was how far Brett Booth has come as an artist. Yeah, 
this is outstanding. I gave it overall on Bloodshot at 3.8, which is remarkable for me on any Valiant comic. But if you're looking for something new and interesting or maybe want to give Valiant a try, Bloodshot number one is where to go with this. Seeley did a fine job and Brett Booth is just simply outstanding. And if anybody has a major contact at Marvel or something, tell them, get Brett Booth on a Star Wars title. Maybe tick somebody off. I don't, like I said, I don't know why he wouldn't be able to work on whatever he wants to. Casada's, from what I understand, Casada's fairly open to renegotiation on things. It, it's got to be that he's not, that he's running into a wall at a certain point. It's got to be the lower end of the wall. Yeah, Brett Booth. Dang. Outstanding artwork. So Bloodshot number one, check it out. Listen, this one is interesting. You're going to spend a lot of time reading this because this one's really involved. Please tell me you read Harleen. Yeah, I read it fairly early today. It was one of the first things I read. You know, I like it when the Joker's not in that book. What do you not like about the Joker appearing in it? I, just, I don't know. It's like the book just turns into a different book when, when he's when he's there. The the dream state, when she's having dreams about him and stuff like that, like I just, none of that was good at all to me. But for the most part, the book's a pretty good book. I thought it was outstanding. Stepan Sayek does all of it, the art and the writing, and kudos to him because this was not just thrown together. I mean, there's not anything out of line in it. All the eyes are dotted. All of the hands look like hands. Everything looks great in it. It fit. I have a new respect for the character of Harley Quinn in this. If it isn't continuity, and it's not, I really do believe it should be considered. I have a great problem with them getting further and further away from what we originally liked about Harley Quinn when she showed up in the Batman animated series. And you can make an argument that this does go a little way from that, but the argument can also be made that this is the start of Harleen's journey to becoming Harley Quinn. I yeah. just thought it was damn good. I gave it a five out of five. I, I gave mean, well, I gave it. I gave the writing a four. I almost gave it a three because sometimes the art would you would lose a lot of detail from panel to panel. Yeah, but I went ahead and gave that a four. I gave the the dynamic of it like a two because that was some really bad lettering. And that's some very shoddy lettering work in that book. Okay, yeah, the lettering was problematic. I didn't take that in consideration. Like to me, I... the lettering was done really fast in just a simple program. Like there, like all of it, all the ha ha has and stuff were just almost like clipboard art to an extent, and they just yeah. they just slapped it up there. Yeah, I can see that. Thinking back over, it. I'm still going to stand by my five by five because they did something that no other book in recent memory has been able to do, and that was. Get me interested in Harley Quinn. Yeah, it's, it's a good book. And I read it because of issue one with Harley, but I was like, but I wasn't looking forward to reading it, but I ended up liking it. Well, as always, Powers of X by Hickman, Powers of 10, number five by Hickman, came out this week. And I'm going to nominate the quote of the week from this book. Prince Namor states to Charles Xavier, do I strike you as someone who's just now realized how much better I am than everyone else? <laughs> Yeah, that Na the Namor stuff was really good. And it's very similar to years back in his Avengers run. He he wrote a, a page where Namor came to Doom to help and Doom turned him down. It's very similar to that, but, but Namor's on the other, si other side of that now. He's sitting at the other end of the table, at the head of the table on this one. This is a hell of a book. It's a hell of a series. And we've got two issues before it's over. And I don't know where we're going. He writes one of the best Emma Frosts since Grant Morrison. Yeah, he writes a really, really good Emma. I mean, she's extraordinary. Uh, she's everything you want her to be. And again, Xavier is just downright freaking creepy. 
And they've already told us pretty much everyone on the council already. Okay, now there's a there's lot of blackouts a, there. No, there's an ad from a few months back. Oh. And that ad is every person on the council is in that ad minus an empty seat. And that empty seat is Kitty Pride, probably. Kitty Pride. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm wondering when she was going to take a more prominent role in this. Well, that pretty much, oh, uh, I gave it a 4.5. I Powers gave it a, a five on writing and then art and dynamic, I gave a four. Okay, so we both gave it 4.5s, basically. Maybe a 4.8 on your part. So that rounds up this week's weekly comic book review. Well, that seems to wrap it up for the week, Albert. We'll be back next week with more new comics. We'll have a couple of bonus episodes coming up here. The, the Joker movie, when it comes out. As long as I don't get shot in a theater when I go watch it. You see, now, it's jokes like that that really, really <laughs> make me worry. <laughs> Surely to God, nobody's going to. There's not anybody, literally. I know they're trying to push it like that. I got shot in the theater, one star. You can. Uh -huh. Shit was too real for me. <laughs> you cannot. This is a difficult conversation to have, and I tell you what, let's save it for the special podcast. I'll also be reviewing Joker that Friday morning on Channel 6 as well. Okay, I was going to ask if you're still doing stuff like that. Oh, yeah. We're still doing any to any time I can get out there. I am a whore for kingdom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will do the podcast, whatever it takes. Uh, I'll be reviewing it on Channel 6 as well on Good Day Alabama. And then Albert and I will put together our special Joker review and chat. And we will discuss what we thought the likelihood was of any sort of situation or why it's getting the attention it gets at that point, because that's better, a huge conversation. I better tell them to push the podcast on that show. They do. They do. Janice Rogers always asks about the podcast. So, and Mike Dubberly too. They're very nice people. All right. Wrapping it up again. We want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to us. Share us with your friends, share us with your enemies, force people to listen to us as a form of torture. Let Alexa play us while you're away during the day. Torture your pets. If you've got any questions, suggestions, do you like the new rating format for the comic books? Let us know. Kingdom Casts, that's Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com or KingdomComics at gmail.com or send us a message at Kingdom Comics on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook and let us know how you're doing. Albert, say goodnight to the people. Good night, everybody. Good night, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>